This message is part of the educational ministry of Columbia International University. We've been preparing world Christians to know Him and to make Him known since 1923. Let's pray again. Beautiful, beautiful Lord, beautiful Lord. We've been worshiping you in song, and, and now we continue to worship you through hearing, understanding, believing, and obeying your word. Be pleased with our continued worship, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When I entered CIU as an undergrad freshman in 1963, missionary service was the last thing on my mind. I was planning to be at CIU for a couple years of Bible and then transfer to a state university where I could earn a degree in English literature in order to become an English lit teacher at the university level. Halfway through my second year here at CIU, a huge change took place in my life. I was already a committed follower of Christ, but when it came to the subject of reaching the unreached, when it came to the subject of missions and the mission field, up until that point, I was willing to go, but planning to stay. And then certain Bible facts broke upon my consciousness and gripped my heart and forever changed the direction and orientation of my life. Up until that point, I was willing to go, but planning to stay. But from that point on and forevermore, I have been planning to go, but willing to stay. I wonder where you fall in terms of that couplet this morning. Are you willing to go to the unreached, but planning to stay? Or are you planning to go, yet willing to stay? And what I'd like to do in the next few minutes is share with you four biblical facts that made that sea change take place in my life, and I'm going to call these four facts, four things God doesn't know. Four things God doesn't know. Now, when you preach in chapel, you have to fill out a little permission form for them to record your message, and then that gets posted on the website, and I said to um, the staff this morning, I said, I'm not sure you should post this title on the website. Everybody's going to think CIU's departed from from its uh, belief in Scripture, Um, God's Word clearly teaches that God is omniscient. God knows everything. But there are four things that God doesn't know. And if you believe the Bible, you will agree with me. So let's start, and I invite you to write these things down. Number one, number one, God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. 
God doesn't know any sin that he, you say, oh, Dr. Murray, that's just a tricky way of saying that God hates all sin. That's right, but you'll remember it better this way. <laughs> God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. Would you look in your Bibles now in Proverbs 6, beginning with verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Do you know why Proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 to 19 tells us that God hates all seven of these things? Because all seven of these things are sin, and God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. Now I have to tell you about Franny Lakin. When my wife and I graduated from CIU, we went right out to the mission field. We went to the post-Christian, post-modern society of Northeast Italy. And before we started our missionary work there, we had to learn the language and get involved in learning the culture. And so we enrolled as full-time students at the University of Perugia in central Italy, and we studied there as full-time students for two solid years. About halfway through the first semester there, uh, we had a conversation class, an Italian conversation class. There were about 60 students in the class, and halfway through that course, each one of us in that class had to give about a four-minute verbal presentation to the class in Italian. And you could talk about anything you wanted to. And so as I thought and prayed about it, I thought, well, I'm gonna give my testimony. I'm gonna tell them how I came to faith in Christ and, and why we've come to Italy. So I did. And uh, it was kind of interesting the way the students sort of sat there listening. But right after the class was over that day, this girl in the back, and by the way, most of these students were not Americans. They're from all over the world learning Italian. But there were a few Americans in the class. And this girl from the back, who was an American, came running down to the front. And she said, oh, I can't believe that you said those things. That was just awesome. She said, my name is Franny Lakin. And she said, I've just given my heart to the Lord. And she said, uh, and she told me how that happened. She said she was from Boston, Massachusetts. And, uh, and that she was an art student in university there and that she had gotten completely hooked on drugs. And she was wandering the streets of Boston and some Christian college students from a school just like CIU, Philadelphia Biblical University, came up into that part of her city that summer, rented a little corner property, started a Christian coffee house, invited kids in off the street, Franny went, heard the message of Jesus, gave her heart to the Lord, and her life was radically transformed, and she was freed from her drug habit. And as an art student, right after that happened, she had to go to Italy to study art for a year. And in order to understand her art teacher, she had to study a little bit of language. So she was in our class, and when she heard me give my testimony, she came running up and she said, I'm a new believer, I don't know much about the Bible, but it's obvious you and your wife know the Lord, and would you be willing to disciple me? And so we had her come to our apartment every week, and we had Bible study with her, and all during this time, she's writing letters back to her non-Christian parents, telling them about all the things that God is doing in her life. And one day, the phone in our apartment rang, and I answered, and there was a woman's voice on the other end, and she said, uh, Mr. Murray, you don't know me, but I'm Franny's mother, and I'm calling you from Boston. And I said, oh, it's very nice to, to hear you. And she said, now let me just get right to the point, sir. She said, Franny's father and I were very upset when she got hooked on drugs. But I want you to know that we are even more upset now that she's gotten hooked on religion. And we understand that you've been meeting with our daughter every week, and I would like to talk to you about the things that you're telling my daughter. 
And I said, I would be happy to do that. She said, fine, I'll be right over. I didn't know it at the time, but Franny's parents were very wealthy, and so her mother went down to the Logan Airport in Boston, bought a ticket, flew to Italy. (laughs) We invited her to stay with us. She uh, graciously declined our invitation, but she asked us if we would book her into a room in a very expensive hotel in the center of the city, which she did, and then she said the next day she wanted us to be her guests at the hotel restaurant for lunch. And so we got all dressed up, and, and, and my wife and I and went to this hotel and this very fancy restaurant. We had never eaten there uh, before. We have never eaten there since. And um, uh, we met Mrs. Lakin, and, and she was a very attractive woman, beautifully dressed, beautifully made up, very educated, and she welcomed us warmly, and we went into the dining room, and she said, I don't speak a word of Italian, so you're going to have to do the ordering, and she said, I want the whole thing. I mean, I want the whole thing, you know, from antipasto to dessert, you order the whole thing. So we did, and um, and uh, they brought the antipasto, the first little plate, you know, of hors d'oeuvres, and um, so... Um, when they brought the food, I was sitting across from Miss Lakin, and my wife was sitting next to her. And um, I said, Miss um, Lakin, I said, I don't know what your custom is, but uh, when you think of all the people in the world that don't have food to eat and how God is so gracious to us, uh, my wife and I have always been in the habit of just thanking the Lord for our food before we eat. So if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to pray. And before she said yes or no, I prayed. <laughs> when I finished praying, She was sitting across from me. She looked right at me and she said, all right, let's get down to it. What's happened to my daughter? Now, more than anything, we've been praying about this conversation. More than anything, more than anything in the world, I wanted to share with that lady the good news. The good news. That's what the word gospel means. The gospel is good news. But I knew if I was going to talk to her about the good news, I first had to talk to her about the bad news. Bad news always comes before good news. You can't understand what it means to be saved if you don't know what it means to be lost. And I didn't want to talk to her about the bad news. She was attractive, she was well-educated, and she was paying the bill. I took a deep breath and I said, you know, before we talk about Franny, I think we just need to put some facts on the table as a basis for our discussion. And I said, the first fact is that uh, all of us are sinners. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners. The minute I said that, she raised her cultured eyebrow and she said, stop right there. She said, don't you think that's a relative term, Mr. Murray? You see, Mr. Murray, what may be right for you may be, per- may be wrong for you, may be perfectly right for me, and what may be wrong for me may be perfectly right for you. Don't you think that's a relative term? What do you mean by sin? I'm so glad she asked me because I was going to tell her anyway. And, and, <laughs> and this is what I told her, and you might want to write this down. Sin is doing what God tells you not to do. Doing what God tells you not to do. 1 John 5, 17 says, all wrongdoing is sin. Now, this is what I'd like us to do. I'm going to watch my watch. It has a second hand on it. I'm going to count 10 seconds in just a minute. When I say go for 10 seconds, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there anything in my life that I do that God has clearly told me not to do? All right, here we go. Just ask yourself that question.
All right, 10 seconds is up. Anything come to your mind? If it did, the Bible calls that sin, and God hates it because God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. Now, that's only the first half of the definition, so let's turn the coin over and look at the other side. Sin is not only doing what God tells you not to do. Sin is also not doing what God tells you to do. James chapter 4, verse 17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. All right, another 10 seconds. All right, watch my watch. You ask yourself this question for 10 seconds. Is there anything in my life that I know the Lord wants me to do and I just don't do it? I know I should, but I just don't do it. Ask yourself that question for 10 seconds. Anything come to your mind? If it does, the Bible calls that sin. And God hates it because God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. So let's look at point number one again. God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. By the way, by the way, Franny's mother, not on that occasion, but six months later, gave her heart to Christ, mainly through the prayers and witness of her daughter, Franny. So praise the Lord for that. But God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. Now, if that's true, all of us here this morning are in big trouble because we're all sinners. You don't have to believe the Bible to know that. Just live with yourself for a week. <laughs> and this is kind of a grim way to start a message. So let's go quickly to number two. Number one, God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. Number two, God doesn't know any person that he doesn't love. God doesn't know any person that he doesn't love. Romans chapter five, verse eight, one of hundreds of verses in the Bible that make it clear that God doesn't know any person that he doesn't love. Look what it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, there's the first point, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that verse tell me? It tells me, number two, that God doesn't know any person that he doesn't love. Now, the reason why I like to share this everywhere I go is that everywhere I go, including the campus of Columbia International University, I find people that don't believe this. There's some people like that here this morning. I mean, if God really loved me, I wouldn't look the way I do. If God really loved me, I would have been born into a different family. If God really loved me, I'd be smarter. If God really loved me, I'd be better looking. If God really loved me, I'd have some extra change in my pocket so I could buy clothes and be up to date in the way I dress. If God really loved me, my parents would still be together. No, God loves you just as much as he loves anybody else. Do you believe that? My dad didn't believe that. My dad grew up in a violent, dysfunctional, wife-beating, child-beating home. I remember my daddy taking me downtown Detroit, Michigan. We stood on the corner of Concourse and Jefferson Avenue. He pointed across the street at an old wooden two-story building with a big plate glass window on the first floor, a big crack through the window behind the plate glass was a red blinking neon sign, and it said, Brown's Bar. And my daddy said to me, son, that's where your daddy grew up. My grandfather, my father's father, was a copper miner. He'd go to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, work for two weeks, get his paycheck, drink it up on the way home, save a dollar, go to a country carnival, throw a few softballs, win a teddy bear, bring it home to his wife and kids, and think he'd done him a big favor. My dad used to have to lock his mother in the closet at night when his father would arrive home because he knew what his dad would do to his mother. 
My dad was 70 at his first job. He was a newsboy on the streets of Detroit, Michigan. Dirty-faced, foul-mouthed, filthy-minded kid. He never heard his father say one kind word to him. He never heard anything like, I love you. He never heard, you did a good job, son. Nothing. When my dad was nine, his father walked out the front door and never came back again. Lived for 25 years after that. No legal separation, no divorce, just abandonment. My dad's older sister got out of that situation as quickly as she could. She got married and she went to the state of Washington. And after she got out there, she convinced my father's mother to bring the rest of the kids and go out there because the grass was a little greener on that side of the fence. And so they moved out there poor as can be. Fast forward now, my dad is 15, still living in the poor side of town, running the wrong streets with the wrong kids. Some Christian college students on the West Coast came down into that part of the city, rounded the boys up off the streets and said, how'd you like to have a free weekend in the mountains? My dad had never been in the mountains before, so he ran home and asked his mom. She said, that's fine with me, one less mouth to feed. And so my dad went up into the mountains to a Christian camp with 50 boys, never been there before. And the first night they were there, they had an outdoor campfire, and they sat in a semicircle around the campfire, and a man by the name of Howard Guinness, who went from Great Britain to Canada to start InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, had been invited to slip down across the border and speak to those boys that night, and he stood up, great big man, stood up in the light of the campfire with a big Bible in his hand. He said, boys, I've come here to tell you good news. I've come here to tell you that God loves you. And the minute he said that, my dad chuckled to himself and said, obviously that speaker doesn't know I'm here. And my dad looked across the campfire and he saw some of the boys on the other side of the circle that from better families. And he said, I'm, I'm sure he's talking to them. I know he's not talking to me. And then that very wise speaker said, and boys, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, good or bad. It doesn't matter what you've ever said or done. God loves you just as much as he loves anybody else. My father had never heard that before in his life. And then he went on to tell those boys how God demonstrates his love for us by sending his own son, Jesus, from the perfection of heaven to the sin-filled world to live a perfect life, to be unjustly accused of crimes he never committed, to be condemned to die, to die on Calvary's cross, not for his own sins, for he had none, but for yours and for mine, to be buried in the ground, to be raised again on the third day as he predicted. And he said, boys, Jesus is alive today. His arms are outstretched. He loves you. He wants you to be his child. He wants to forgive your sin. My dad had never heard that before. Grew up in America. When he got back to his cabin that night, he was on the triple, the third bunk bed of a triple bunk set, and in the dark corner of his cabin, he talked to the Lord, and he said, God, if you're really there, and Jesus, if you're who that man said you are, and you did what he said you did for me, I want to tell you I'm a sinner. I want you to come into my life. I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to make me your child. The Lord always answers that prayer, and my dad's life was radically transformed. God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. God doesn't know any person that he doesn't love. That includes you. Now, if the second point is true, then everybody's okay. (laughs) You know, first point's true, we're all in big trouble. Second point's true, everybody's okay because God doesn't know any person he doesn't love. That includes you. That includes anybody anywhere in the world. And it would be nice to end the message that, that way, but there are two more things that God doesn't know. 
So write them down. Number one, God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. Number two, God doesn't know any person that he doesn't love. Number three, God doesn't know any other way of salvation except through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. Jesus answered the question, how can we get to the Father? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't you think that sounds rather narrow? I do. What does that verse tell me? That verse tells me that God doesn't know any other way of salvation except through Jesus Christ. Now, we're, we're just about done, but I wanna, I wanna ask everybody to uh, put your writing instrument down and take either your right or left hand, whatever you're comfortable with, and, and make a fist, all right? Now, while your hand's in the fist position, I want you to put your index finger like that. Now, while your hand's in that position, I want you to stick your arm straight up near. Come on, just stick it up straight. I wish we had the yearbook staff here get a picture. This is cool. That's great. Okay, you can put it down. Do you know what that is? That's the one-way sign made popular by the Jesus People Movement on the West Coast of the United States in the early 1960s. It has now become a universal evangelical symbol, which means there's only one way to heaven and one way alone, and it's through Jesus Christ. You can go to a Christian bookstore and buy a leather Bible cover with the one-way hand on it. You can buy little pressure-sensitive labels with the one-way hand on them. You can peel them off the page and put it on the envelope so when you send your letter through the mail, the postman will see it. I remember riding in my car on a four-lane highway here in North America years ago, and I came to an intersection where the light had turned red, and... Um, there was a car already in the, in the right-hand lane that had slowed down and stopped, and I was in the left-hand lane, and I slowed down. But just before I passed the car on my right, I read his bumper sticker. And this is what it said, honk if you love Jesus. So I honked, and the guy in the car looks over at me, and he goes, <laughs> so I look back at him, and I went, But do you really believe that? Do you? When I was a student at CIU, I went on a summer missions trip to the Chicago suburb of Des Plaines, Illinois. We got 30 churches there to cooperate. All of the believers in those churches agreed to come together every night for 30 straight nights, bringing their non-Christian friends, and we preached the gospel to them. We rented an old Methodist tabernacle with a sawdust floor, seated 1,000 people, and we rented a little cottage where we stayed as a team. Now, the cottage didn't have a kitchen in it. Just had a little hot plate in the back room and a sink, and so in the morning we'd put a pan of water on the hot plate and we'd boil water and make instant tea and coffee and eat bread and jam for breakfast and cold cereal. And At night we'd put soup on and have soup and cheese and crackers for supper. So in order to have at least one decent meal a day, every noontime we went to a little family restaurant right on the edge of the campground and we bought a, a, a restaurant meal. And I'll never forget the first day we went into that restaurant. There were 10 of us and they gave us a big table in the back corner and we all sat down and I heard a voice behind me. And... Uh, it was a, a young lady's voice, and she said, hi, my name is Sandy, and I'm your server. And I turned around, and I saw her, and she looked at me, and she said, I've never seen you before. Are you new here? And I said, yeah, in fact, we're all new. And she said, oh, what are you guys doing here this summer? I said, well, we've come here to tell people about Jesus Christ. And she went, oh. <laughs> now, that began a very interesting series of conversations because we ate there every day. 
And about a week later, after the noon meal, as we were leaving the restaurant, Sandy stopped me at the door. She said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yes. She said, you know, I've been telling my friends about some of the stuff you've been telling me about God and Jesus Christ, and I've shown them some of the literature you gave me. And she said, now we're not gonna come to your meetings in the big building, don't get your hopes up. She said, but I'm wondering, could we come over to your cottage some night after your big meeting is over one of the evenings and, and just kind of hang out and ask you some questions? I said, absolutely. And so it was a, it was a midweek uh, night. Our big meeting was over that night in the tabernacle. We were back at our cottage and here comes Sandy and some of her friends. And we invited them in. We had a little screened in porch, no furniture on the porch, just a wooden floor. We all sat on the floor cross-legged and they began to ask some really good questions. And I'll never forget a question that Sandy asked. She was seated right in the middle of the group. She looked at me and she said, George Murray, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation for the whole world? And I said, yes. Then she said this. If that is true, what about the fact? It's just the way she said it. What about the fact that millions and millions of people living right now have never even heard once about Jesus? What's going to happen to them when they die? What are you going to tell her? What are you going to say? You see, Sandy didn't ask me about people who don't believe in Jesus. She asked me about people who don't know there's a Jesus to believe in. What's going to happen to them when they die? I said, Sandy, that isn't a tremendously important question. And what you think or what I think about the answer may be right or may be wrong, but what God's word says is always right. And Sandy, if I understand this book correctly, and I had my Bible there that night, I said, I believe that God's word teaches based on passages like John chapter three, verse 18, Romans chapters one, two, and three, and other Old and New Testament passages. Sandy, I believe that every man, woman, boy, or girl living anywhere in the world who's old enough to know the difference between right and wrong and who can make a moral choice if that person dies without putting his or her faith in Jesus Christ that person will spend eternity in the fires of an everlasting hell and the minute I said that Sandy exploded and I can still hear her voice as it screamed out through the screened in porch and across the summer night and this is what she said but that's not fair I find it very interesting, Dr. Jones, that when I made the categorical statement I made a minute ago about the eternal destiny of people who live and die without ever having heard about Jesus, nobody here in the CI chapel stood up and said, that's not fair, and the reason why they didn't is because you're not supposed to talk back to the speaker. But some of you thought it. Some of you thought it. Yes, you did. You said, you know what, Dr. Murray, if you want to know, honestly, I agree with Sandy. I don't think that's fair. In fact, let me tell you about myself, Dr. Murray. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, Dr. Murray. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents know and love the Lord. They taught me about Jesus right from the cradle. As a young child, I understood the gospel. I gave my heart to the Lord. I'm so glad that I had that privilege. And I'll never forget the day 10 years ago when our next door neighbors moved in. The minute those people arrived, my mom went out our front door over to their house, welcomed them to the neighborhood, asked them how we could help them, took some stuff that she'd made in the kitchen for them. And in the last 10 years, my parents and I have loved on our neighbors. We've had them over to our house for meals. We've shared our testimony with them. One night we all got together and watched Billy Graham on cable TV. We had them to our church for the Christmas program. The message was absolutely clear. We gave them a Bible. 
And for the last 10 years, our neighbors have absolutely rejected everything we've tried to tell them about the Lord. They want nothing to do with it, nothing to do with church, nothing to do with God. And I'm not God, but Dr. Murray, I I want you to know that I believe that if my neighbors in Charleston were to die tonight, I don't even like to say this out loud, but I do believe if they were to die tonight, they would go to hell forever. But people that have never met a Christian, people that have never seen a church, The Bible is an unknown book. The cross is an unknown symbol. Christmas and Easter are not in their calendar. While we wait for the second coming of Christ, they've never heard of his first coming. That's not fair. All right, now watch. Listen carefully. Number one, God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate, including the sin in the lives of people who still have never heard of Jesus. Number two, God doesn't know any person that he doesn't love, including all the people right now who still have never heard of Jesus. Number three, God doesn't know any other way of salvation except through Jesus Christ, and that applies equally to people who still have never heard of him. And that brings us to number four. Write it down. God doesn't know any other way to tell those who've never heard about Jesus except through you. God doesn't know any other way to tell those who've never heard about Jesus except through me. Now, I want to put this reference on the screen, Romans 10, 13. I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to uh, see if you can remember what this verse is. And let me just tell you, I'm, I'm, all my references today have been from the NIV. I usually preach from the NIV. I find that's the, the Bible that most common people are, are familiar with in the pew and, and in conferences and so forth. But when I grew up, I was made to memorize, and I'm so glad, huge passages of Scripture from the King James Version of the Bible. And I learned Romans 10, 13 from the King James version and there's some people here this morning that did that and so the minute you hear it started if you know it I want you to out loud say it out loud together with me Romans 10 13 says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved say it again for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved now look at it in the NIV here's what it says for everyone King James version whosoever NIV everyone Greek scholars say either word works. In fact, some scholars say both words should be there for everyone whosoever who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that an awesome verse? I love, this is one of my favorite Bible verses because of the word everyone or whosoever. That includes anybody in the world. Do you know what? By the law of averages, not everybody here this morning is saved. I mean, one-twelfth of Jesus' closest followers wasn't. I sat with the class of 1970 this last weekend. And one of the classmates who couldn't be with us at the homecoming here at CIU wrote a letter and told us how he came to Christ in his fourth year at CIU. So it's very possible that there's some people here this morning who've never come to faith in Christ. And if you're one of them, do you know what? Based on this verse, You can stop listening to me right now and you can start talking to the Lord and you can just say, Lord, save me. And you know what he'll do? He'll save you. That's exactly what this verse means. Isn't that awesome? 
Amen. But Romans 10.13 comes before Romans 10.14. And Romans 10.14 says this, How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Verse 15, and how can they preach unless they are sent, sent by the Lord who said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And what does all of this tell me from God's holy inspired word in Romans chapter 10? It tells me that God doesn't know any other way to tell those who've never heard about Jesus except through you, except through me. Now, In all fairness, listen carefully, in all fairness, there are godly Bible-believing Christians and Christian leaders, some even here on this campus, who disagree with me on this fourth point. So I would urge you to study God's word and to come to your own settled conviction about this. The necessity of human instrumentality in the preaching of the gospel and in the reaching of the unreached. And as we finish chapel in just a minute, I'm gonna give you a website I want you to write down and go to to help you with this tremendously important question. How responsible are we in reaching those that are still unreached? But just before I pray, I wanna tell you about Sandy. Sandy, yeah. Do you remember her? The waitress on the front porch? The one who said that's not fair? It was a week later, we're in Chicago, summer team, our big meeting's over, we're back to the cottage, had an uh, evening snack, we've all gone to bed, the lights are out, it's midnight. Knock comes on the front screened in porch, I get up, throw on some crows, go down, turn on the porch light, open the door, there's Sandy and four of her friends. Can we come in? I said, uh, yeah. Come on in. <laughs> when they got into this, the lighted porch, I saw that all five of them were crying. I said, what's going on? Sandy spoke for the group. She said, well, tonight after work at the restaurant, instead of going home like we usually do, we have some friends, some guy friends who have a van, and, and they agreed to come pick us up, and we were all going to go downtown Chicago and do the city at night, and we were all excited about it, and we waited and waited, and they didn't come. They didn't come. Finally, the phone rang. And we learned that on their way to pick us up, they had a terrible accident, and the guy driving the van was killed instantly, and the guy in the front seat on the other side lost both of his legs, and we are just so upset. We don't know what to do. We just need to talk to somebody. Can we talk to you? And I said, absolutely. And this time, Sandy didn't ask me theoretical questions about people who live in far-off places. She asked me about the boy that was driving the van. She said, where is he right now? And then she said, what if I had been in the van and I had been killed? Where would I be right now? And suddenly life and death and heaven and hell and time and eternity were very real issues. I had my Bible there that night. I got it out and I started to explain the gospel to those kids again. I've explained the gospel to many people, and I'll tell you the truth, in many cases, it's just like it goes right over their head. They just don't get it. They glaze over. But there are those times when people get it, and this was one of those times, and I'm just speaking in layman's terms, but the Bible calls that the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
And God's Holy Spirit settled down over that little porch and it was so obvious that they were understanding. And I said, you know what? We don't need to talk anymore. I think we need to pray. And they got all scared because they never prayed before. I said, don't worry about it. I'll help you. And I led them in a simple prayer of repentance and faith and trust in Christ. And three of the five prayed that prayer that night. And one of the three was Sandy. And Sandy got saved. That is a great word. That is a great word. Don't ever throw that word out of your vocabulary. It's biblical. She got saved. I had a New Believers Bible study I was teaching every afternoon during those meetings in Chicago for people that were accepting Christ. I invited her to come. She said, I don't have a Bible. I said, don't worry, I'll buy you a Bible. I bought her a Bible. She took it home that night, read late into the night, did that every night after that, came to the Bible study every afternoon. She was so excited. She grew and she grew. A week later, our meetings were over. We were packing our vans to come back to South Carolina. Sandy comes running up up to the van where I'm standing. She said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yes. She said, you know, I've just been accepted at university. I said, yeah, I think that's awesome. She said, well, I've changed my mind. I said, really? She said, yeah, I'm not going to go to university. I said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to go to a Bible college. A Bible college? I didn't think she knew such an animal existed. I mean, I hadn't told her about that. I mean, that's step 10. You know what I'm saying? I was teaching her steps one, two, and three, how to read your Bible, how to pray, how to overcome temptation, how to pick good friends, how to find a good church, how to witness, you know, and she's down here at step 10, a Bible college. I said, do you know what a Bible college is? She said, yes. I said, what do you want to go to a Bible college for? She said, I don't want to go to a Bible college to study God's word, to prepare to be a missionary. I said, a missionary? What do you want to be a missionary for? She said, because I still don't think it's fair. But then she said this, she said, but I've suddenly realized that it's not God who's unfair, it's us. She said, God has given us everything we need for salvation when he gave his own precious son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And God has given to us, his children, everything we need to take that message to the ends of the earth. And if there's anyone living anywhere who's never heard about Jesus, it's for one reason and one reason alone, and that's because we have failed to take that message to them. She went to the New Tribes Bible Institute in the state of Wisconsin. She graduated three years later. She joined the New Tribes Mission. Today, Sandy and her husband, Ron, are the heads of a Christian ministry that touches the lives of 10,000 teenagers with the gospel of Jesus every year. All right, listen carefully. God doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate. God doesn't know any person that he doesn't love. God doesn't know any other way of salvation except through Jesus Christ. And God doesn't know any other way to tell those who've never heard of Jesus, except through you, except through me. Would you pray with me? Lord, take these words based on your word, drive them deep down into our hearts, and then out through our hands and feet to the ends of the earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were blessed by this message. Additional audio messages and learning resources are available at www.ciu.edu bookstore or call 803-807-5263. Messages are also available by podcast at iTunes. CIU is a regionally accredited biblical university offering undergraduate and graduate degree programs. Our purpose is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for letting us minister to you today.